Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Exodus 1. Exodus 1. And so um, I'm hoping that you will be here for a long time. I hope some of you new faces that I see, if you don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Pastor Hunter. I'm one of the leaders here at this church. It's good to see some faces that I don't know. And I hope that we see baptisms and salvation and church membership all throughout this year, and I know you much better at the end of 2022. Now, for this morning, start off right, I want you to have a Bible open. Um, I don't say this very often, but I preach every single Sunday and Wednesday night out of the New King James Version. It's a, it's a really good version compared to what we would see, like maybe the, new, the King James and the the NIV, it's that space in the middle. That's where I teach out of. If you're looking for a new Bible or if your Bible might not match up with mine every week, I hope that you are a note taker. That is a discipline that I hope you start or you continue this year. Our mission team, our mission friends class led by Jacob and Leah Partridge on Wednesday nights, they put a little bucket of highlighters in the lobby. And those highlighters, guys, I hope you end this year with just all of Exodus, all kinds of colors. And I hope a hundred years from now, your great-grandchildren go, man, I don't know what was going on in this book at times, but something was happening in Exodus. That's what I hope. So have your Bibles, have them open. I'm going to have you flip into Genesis here and there, but you can kind of, kind of stay close into the condensed 10 or 15 pages starting with Exodus 1. Huge blessing in what we start this weekend in God's Word. Look at the first seven verses. Highlighters ready. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came out of Egypt. Let's just take a second. Where are we at? What's this book on? First sentence, probably important. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Jacob, as we see with Genesis, that's what Kennedy read to us this morning. He is the father of Joseph. He says, this is the household that came with Jacob. Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Ishar, and Zebulun, and Benjamin, and Dan, and Metali, and Gad, and Asher. All of those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Now, highlight that one part. I chose pink for this one. For Joseph was already in Egypt. Highlight it. This was the family, the household of Jacob, but it didn't say Joseph. Why does it not say Joseph? Well, Scripture tells us Joseph was already there. And Joseph died and all of his brothers and all of that generation with him. But the children of Israel were fruitful and they increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. As I said, this is a huge opportunity this year, if you know it or not. I've spoken to a lot of you guys, and I'd ask the question, like, what do you know about Exodus? And some of you guys knew a little, some of you guys knew a lot, but I asked the question, like, you ever done what we're doing? And I didn't get one person to say yes to that. 
I remember people were pretty shocked when we did Matthew. I mean, I remember other pastors going, man, I don't know about 14 months in the, in the same book, let alone Exodus. For me, I've never done this. And I started thinking about that, talking about like New Year's resolutions, goals and things you want to achieve, bucket lists. I got a handful of them. I want to see some things. I want to experience some things. I'd like to have some things. But near the top of my list, do you know what I think would be really cool as a pastor? I would like to lay my head on the pillow on my last day on this earth and said, I have preached through every word and book and story of the Bible. I think that would be awesome to do. I pray that God keeps me here long enough to do that. And I said that before to some people, and they'll go, hey, uh, well, have at it. I'm sure you can do it. But hey, listen, it's not a given. If you start playing the numbers game, and you go, well, Hunter, I mean, like, Harry Potter has like nine times the amount of the Bible has in it. Like, I read that in six months. Well, this is not that way. This is not teaching through Harry Potter. We teach in a way here at Eastview, in an expository way, which goes through every word, every sentence, every exclamation point in Scripture. And we've done that in the last eight years. We went through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We went through Lamentations and Daniel. We went through Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk. We went through Matthew, 14 months. We went through Galatians and Philippians and James and 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and we went through Jude. And now we are coming up on Exodus. But guys, if my highlighter is not mistaken me, there's a lot of the Bible that I haven't touched in this way. So I look at this and go, man, I would love to at the end of my life go, man, I touched every word, not just read through it all, but man, we taught through every sentence. Gotta get going. Might have to have a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Sunday night service there for a while, right? It's not a given. And then I started thinking to myself, Hunter Jones, for me, for me, this is a once in a lifetime moment. Might not be for you, but for me it is. There will probably not be another time in my life, in my ministry, I will probably pull from, I will probably use text from, I will probably read again, so will you, but there will probably not be a time four years from now where I go, hey, let's go through Exodus again. That probably won't happen. That will probably be the only time I ever do this in my life. And here's the reality, so will you. You might read this book again. You might study this book again. You might read a devotion and you might hear a sermon, but I would venture to say with how big this Bible is, none of you, most likely, who knows, will sit in the same space praying over, being taught, under teaching, in small group discussing the same book for a same year being Exodus. This is what I am begging you to commit to is a gigantic opportunity and gift. Amen? Huge. Bigger than you know. This Old Testament book that we call Exodus is a story of God's people going from a journey to slavery to salvation. Now, this is an opinion, but most people who are faithful and who know the Bible, theologians, and just people who've been raised in the church will tell you there are few, few, few times 
in God's word that shows the miraculous goodness and power of God to the extent that the book of Exodus does. Now, there's some awesome scripture. Every word is God inspired and for our good and his glory. But the book of Exodus is experiencing God to the fullest. Most people would tell you that. Do you know much about this book? If you go, Hunter, I kind of do, I do, or I don't at all, we're about to embark on an adventure that is going to be experiencing God and flow into every aspect of your life. I pray, I pray, I pray you commit to this. This word exodus literally means, the title of the book, to exit, to departure. For the Jews, I want you to understand where we start. For the Jews, God's people of the Old Testament, this book was everything. Exodus was was bigger than creation. Exodus was foundational. Exodus was the cement on the ground. This was everything to the Jews. Every study, every word went back to what God did for them in the Exodus. For the New Testament Christian, the book of Exodus is really the gospel of the Old Testament. Exodus gives every captive, every captive the hope of freedom. And so for you and I today, when we look at the slavery of sin and what that has done to our life, we look at Exodus and God's deliverance. Exodus is a book entirety in the old all the way to new from Genesis to Revelation that people would say there is very few outside of what Jesus performed in the Gospels. There are very few times in books that overflow you with the miracles of who God is. As I said, the Old Testament believers looked at Exodus as everything. That was their foundation. And the New Testament believers who came during and after Christ, they would pull from Exodus to really explain salvation. Peter and Paul and Jude and Jesus himself quoted Exodus. Don't flip there, just listen to these words. This is out of Jesus' mouth. In Mark 12, Christ says, Are you not therefore mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor give into marriage. He's talking about how big and how powerful God is and how awesome glory will be. But concerning the dead, they rise. And have you not read the book of Moses in the burning bush, the passage, talking about Exodus, How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, and therefore you are greatly mistaken. To read Exodus, I want you to understand what you're saying yes to this morning, unless I never see you again. What you are saying yes to this morning is a commitment and dedication to being close to God, to hearing the Lord and experiencing Christ. This is a gift that we will most likely not experience in this book ever again in this way. Exodus floods us with the bigness of God, how merciful he is, how great he is, how sovereign he is, how holy he is, how powerful he is. The story of God and his love for his people. So our story begins. My Bible says, what does yours say? Israel's suffering 
in Egypt. Israel's suffering in Egypt. So it starts off and it says, now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. But now look at verse 8. Let's continue the story. We're going to read verse 8 through 13. I need you to see these. Nothing else really will make sense fully unless we fully get chapter 1, okay? God's word says, now there arose a new king. So remember, Joseph is dead. His family is dead. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Highlight that. There was a new king over Egypt, and guess what? He didn't know Joseph. And he said to his people, look at the people and the children of Israel, and they're becoming more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they may also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Much like King Herod looking at Jesus. Therefore, verse 11 Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with all of their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities in Pitoms and Ramus. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, or some of your Bibles say in slavery. And they made their lives bitter with the hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in the manner of service in the field. They're describing slavery, church. And their worst service in which they made them was with all rigor. So let me ask you a question. Before we get any deeper, I need you to understand this. This ties to all year that we're going to be together. Why were the people of Israel in Egypt in the first place? So there is a tremendous amount of miracles. We're going to see God split the waters. We're going to see family. We're going to see so much in this amazing book that will blow your mind. Slavery to salvation, hope and mercy, the bigness of God. But let's answer one question this morning that gives light to everything. Why were they there in the first place? Why was Israel in Egypt? Who was the household of Jacob, and does any of it matter? Go to Genesis 37. I want you to flip. I need you to see it. Go to Genesis 37. It's just a few pages backwards. Celia has it on the board for you, but I need you to see it, man. It's mind-blowing. It makes it make sense. It really gives fuel to 2022. Look at Genesis 37, 18. Why were the people of Israel in Egypt in the first place? Chapter 37, verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Who are they speaking about? This is Joseph. You remember Joseph, that old school VBS story with his pretty awesome and gnarly coat? You remember that? This is Joseph, and who's conspiring to kill him? It's his brothers that were jealous and didn't like him. Then they said to one another, look, 
This dreamer is coming. Come therefore and let us now kill him and cast him into the pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of all of his dreams. Fast forward to verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic and the tunic of many colors that was on him. And then they took him and they cast him into the pit and that pit was empty. There was no water in it. So the brothers, we all know that story from way back. Their brothers were jealous of Joseph. They kicked him in the pit and they left him for dead. Do you remember that? Go to Genesis 39. It's very important we see these texts, guys. Look at chapter 39. It's just a page away. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had been taking him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was successful as a man there. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So what we see is Joseph is betrayed, left for dead, and now he is sold into slavery. Look at chapter 41 now. Look at 41, chapter 41, verse 42. If I were you, I'd be highlighting everything we read. I want you to see it. In verses 42, God's word and the story continues, says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in a great garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had chains around his neck and he had him ride in the second chariot in which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Y'all remember this story. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all of the land of Jesus in, in Egypt. Do you remember that story progressing? Last time I have you flip, go to chapter 42. I think this is so awesome and so amazing. I have been counting down the minutes to read this with you guys. Look at chapter 42 in the first two verses. Kiddos, keep up. And when Jacob, remember, Jacob was the father of Joseph. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So you remember, there was a famine and we all know the story. Kennedy read the end of it in Genesis 50, where the brothers are dying and the brothers think that Joseph is dead. So they travel to Egypt. Why? Out of necessity. You following me? The early Hebrew, the early Hebrew translations of Exodus, the first word is not now these are the names. The first word in Exodus is literally the word and. Do you know why? Because Exodus is seen as a sequel, as a continuation of Genesis. Genesis, what Kennedy read to us, ends in chapter 50 with the death of Joseph. Exodus now is three to four hundred years after the death of Joseph. 
the reason that Israel is in Egypt is because of the famine. That is why they are there in the first place. And so what we see in verse 2, when it talks about the house of Jacob and having to come out of Egypt, and it names everybody except for who? Joseph. And what does it say? I told you to highlight it in pink if you got it. For Joseph was already in Egypt. So understand, the reason that they were there in the first place was the famine in Genesis 37. Or the, actually the, the sin of 37, the famine of 42. And so it goes, how do you go from power? Joseph was in such power. Joseph had everything at his fingertips. The Pharaoh said, nothing will happen without your content. So why the change of heart? What does Exodus say? Now there arose a new king. A new king. And guess what, church? He didn't know who Joseph was. So it's important we see the history and how things change and how everything is connected. What we see in Exodus, it's 400 years after the death of Joseph. There's a new regime. And in this new regime, they felt no obligation. There's no heartstrings here for Joseph or his family. And like Herod at Christmas, the Israelites, what we see, they started to grow in numbers multiplying, threatening power. And like Herod, Pharaoh said, quote, the children of Israel are becoming more and more, and they could be mightier than we. So in an attempt to control power, in the attempt to regain power, the Pharaoh sent his people into slavery and ordered for all sons to be killed. I want you to see this. We just see that, okay, I understand that Exodus began with Joseph. I understand why they are there. So you're saying that Exodus really started with his family. Not quite. I want you to see that Exodus is not just connected to Joseph, but honestly, it's more connected to Abraham. Go to Genesis 12. Go to Genesis 12, please. Go to Genesis 12. Now we see the covenant between God and Abraham. You remember this wonderful, beautiful story of Abraham. Abraham is an old man. His wife is an old lady. Remember, they can't have babies. And what does God say to them both? Not only... Am I going to give you a child, which they rolled their eyes and laughed at? He goes, I want you to look at the stars. Do you remember this? I want you to look at the stars. And he does. He says, try to count them. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He loses sleep. He says, I want you to try to count the stars. Actually, the seeds that come from you and your family are going to multiply more than what you even count in the sky. Do you remember that story? Look at the covenant. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Highlight everything I'm saying, guys. Leave your home to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse four, now Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Understand the big picture, guys. So what the world was witnessing in Exodus 1 was not just simply what happens generationally from sin coming from Joseph and all of his brothers. What we see is Pharaoh and the world and you and I are witnessing what God promised come true. What Abraham and Sarah laughed at and rolled their eyes at is literally coming to fruition in Exodus 1. The people were multiplying. The people were increasing. And what does it say? And the land was filled with them. Exodus is a book filled with the miraculous provisions of God's promised word. Now, day one, you kind of know where we are. You know where we start. You know why these verses are important. You understand a little bit of the background. I want you to see some of the apical big picture thoughts concerning Abraham and Joseph, how everything is connected. So Exodus, slavery, death and famine, hardships and persecution, generationally, I want you to see it, started, it was birthed in momentary sin. Go back in your mind to what we read in Genesis 37 of the brothers and their hate and their jealousy and their frustration and their resentment of their brother Joseph and his awesome coat. Do you think that in that moment where one looked at the other and said, hey, listen, I got an idea. We got enough brothers and sisters. Let's kick this joker into a hole. You think in that moment they thought, hey, listen, this is going to create a snowball that leads into the sin and destruction and slavery for generations to come? Do you think that? Please hang on this if you've lost me in the history. Egypt was not their home. You hear me? The reason they went was the famine. The reason they went was necessity. But the reason that they stayed was family. The reason that they stayed because Joseph kept them there. Exodus started in Genesis 37 with jealousy. So here's the irony in all of it. The brothers left Joseph for dead and put him into slavery, which then would trickle down to them actually putting their future, future, future grandchildren and generations in slavery. Do you see this? Pharaoh in Exodus is the villain. But the villain did not start with Pharaoh. The villain started with them. Exodus starts with the damage of what sin does and how everyday decisions have long-lasting effects. So it begs the question, have I, have you, led others unknowingly into slavery? Think about this. This is a big book filled with a lot of ups and downs. It begs the question, If Joseph's brothers, in the sin of their heart and the anger in their life, did not leave their brother for dead in Egypt, would Exodus have occurred? 
And I'm not taking anything away. Understand my question, talking about God's sovereignty. God has a plan. God had a plan for Exodus and the people. But listen, their sin and their decisions led to slavery for people far, far, far in the future. Do you think you and I have done the same? Our decisions matter. Have I led people into bondage? Have I led people into slavery? Have my short-term decisions on how I treat people, what I deem to be important, what gods I worship, how I treat my wife, how I parent my kids, is it just about me? Or are my great-great-grandchildren going to be dealing with the decisions that I have made? That's the book of Exodus. Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is now a slave to sin. Joseph's brothers in Genesis 37 through 50 led generations into slavery and bondage. If you're a note taker, our decisions matter. What we place as primary and first matters. How you view sin matters. Our words and how we treat people matter. It all matters, and the way we follow God impacts the lives of others. Now, you take this back, and you go, hey, Hunter, man, Exodus didn't start in Genesis 37. It started back in Genesis 2 through 5. Do you think Eve holding that apple and being tempted with doing what God told her not to do? Do you think she sat there and said, hey, this is probably going to impact Jason and Charlotte Kirby one day? You think she thought any of that? You you think she even thought about 2022? You thought she thought about Exodus? You thought she thought about the new? You thought she thought about any of these things? It all comes back to sin. And it all comes back to what we view God as and what we place as important and how we view and follow His commands and look at sin. But Exodus, not only is it a book on the effects of sin and the damage in the short term flowing into the long-term decisions, it's also a story of grace and salvation and how God works in the mess. I want you to see this. We just celebrated Christmas. Jesus was born to who? A king? No, he was born to two young, inexperienced, poor kids in a barn outside of a shelter, working in the mess. Who was the first man alongside of his brother to come be a disciple, a teacher, a follower of Christ? Who was it? It was our boy Peter, an uneducated fisherman in the midst of the mess. The primary writer of the New Testament in the midst of the mess, a man who hated, who killed, who persecuted the church, persecuted the church and believers, the mess. Our salvation comes in death on the cross, mess. So when we read Genesis and we look at Abraham and God goes, hey, listen, Abraham, I know you're looking the short term like, man, I just wish I had a boy that looked like me. And my wife is too old. This is nuts that you think that she can become pregnant. He goes, man, you're looking short term. I'm going to make you a great nation. But here's what I want you to see. 
He didn't fulfill that promise in the highlights. He fulfilled that in the midst of slavery. Slavery was the soil. You think he let Abraham in on that? He said, hey, listen, I'm going to do wonders that you won't even see. You're going to see from glory one day. But understand, my promise will be kept in the midst of the mess. Here's a hard truth. There are consequences to sin, and here's a hard truth. You and I have probably hurt more people than we realize. Our great-great-grandchildren are going to be dealing with some of the mess that we gave them an inheritance. We have led people into slavery and bondage. But what God says in his word, what our sin has done and created, and what the enemy meant for evil, God is meant for good. Kennedy read to us, but I want to slow it down and read it. Just look over. You don't even have to flip a page unless you have a fancy Bible. Look at Genesis 50. Look at Genesis 50, please. It's the last chapter of Genesis flowing right into Exodus. We see in Exodus what God is doing. He is fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham in the midst of slavery. Why are they in Egypt in the first place? It was the sin of jealousy and resentment of Joseph's brothers. But I want you to see Genesis 50. Look at verses 15, please. Get those highlighters out. Let's end strong. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. I would think the same thing. And may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, I plead with you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and of their sin, for they did evil to you, right? It led to the exodus. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his faith. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in a place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid, brothers. I will provide for you and your little ones and be comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God had a plan. God has a plan. He made a promise. And the beauty of Exodus is that the book of Exodus is a story about a loving and merciful and amazing God working in the sin and the mess that you and I have created. And still taking his people, the people of faith, into a undeserved promised land. Exodus is the gospel. Exodus is the gospel. Exodus is Matthew. Exodus is the cross. Exodus is Mark, Luke, and John. Exodus is Jesus. Today, for you and I, 
All of us are in slavery, not because of the government, not because you weren't given rights when your parents were younger, not because of your boss, not because of Biden, because we placed ourselves there. You and I chose Egypt. And God still works and saves to those who want out of Egypt. Those who place their trust and their faith in Christ. For some of us, we sit here this morning still slaves. Some of us sit here free. I was reading a story and it was talking about literal slaves during the time of slavery in the 1900s. And they said that one thing that they would read to their children and around campfires at night when they were given time away from working is the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus served as a great encouragement to them and it would give them hope and it would give them courage and it would give them the strength to move. And I was reading this one um, insert from, from literature written during that time and the man spoke of a man unnamed and he said, I would read him Exodus, I would read him Exodus and I would read him Exodus, but the man never chose to move. He says, I chose to move because of what God promised the people. He still promises me today. And I started thinking of you and who we would have this morning. And the reality is God calls just like he did the Israelites. He calls you and I out of slavery, out of bondage, even though we chose this and even though we live in this and even though we continue to put ourselves in places of damage, God still rescues. Some of you traveled to Egypt and some of you were born there, but God still desires to rescue. Still desires to rescue. As we close here, I want you to read up to where we are going to be next week in Exodus 2, in the birth of Moses. I want you to see verses 15 through 22. It says, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name was Shiphar and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, this is what the Pharaoh says to him, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? Hang with me. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt with them, the midwives, and the people multiplied, and they grew mightily. God still fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Verse 21, and so it was because the midwives feared God, and he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Here's my challenge to you this morning as we start to really unpack this amazing book. Before we pray, I want you not just to first see how amazing the Bible is and how it is connected and what we did not know gives birth to what we will know and all of those good things about loving Scripture. I want you to see the reality of what sin has done in our life. 
For some of us, we will die in Egypt. We will die in Egypt. For some of us, like I said, you've traveled there. And for some of you, woe is you. You were born there, but you are still there. You are living in the destruction of what sin has done in your life. And I pray that you still see that God delivers us out, that God provides a way that Genesis 12, 37 through 50 and Exodus 1 is all the gospel of the Old Testament and the goodness of who Christ is. If you are lost today, if you say, hey, Hunter, this is not just cool to me, but I am not a follower of Jesus, I pray, I pray, I pray you see hope in what we've read in Exodus 1. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for starting us in this book, Lord. I pray that the people who have committed to week one, they have seen not only just the historical amazement of miracles of how Genesis and other books of the Bible going all the way from the garden to the desert, how it's all connected and it gives us assurance to what your word says is true. I pray that we see our own lives in this, that we have led ourselves, that we have led family, that we have led future generations into bondage out of momentary decisions of sin. Choices, life choices that we make lead others into having to exit the bondage that we've put them in. But our hope is that God still works in, in that. That God worked in the nativity, that God worked on the cross, that God worked in the end, he worked in the beginning, and we see that and we praise your name for it. That even though we deserve slavery, even though we have traveled to be placed in slavery, you still rescue those that you call yours. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for this. Bless our time in 2022. In your precious name, amen.